This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, February 10th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family still have 80% off clearance sale. In case you haven't heard, they've also launched the MyPillow version 2.0. Buy one, get one free. In addition to that, you can get all the great stuff they have down at MyPillow. Get the Air Lindells, the My Dog Bed, even the classics. When you enter promo code Stinky Checkout, if you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code Stinky here, you're going to get 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, kind of like the new intro now. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link to it. It'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social, welcome, Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 212. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, we've got a packed show today. Alex Brusowitz and Gavin Wax are going to be here. We're going to be covering the State of the Union. We're going to be covering committees kicking off. But first, let's take it up to Capitol Hill. And joining us first on the show today... He's congressman representing Florida's 7th District. Back on the show to talk about a bunch of stuff, including the State of the Union address. Congressman Corey Mills, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, sir, you've had a busy week. It was the uh, start of committee. We saw you propose some legislation as well, but we're going to lead off uh, right before our cold open talking to you about the State of the Union. Unfortunately, you had to sit through it on uh, Tuesday night. What can you tell our listenership? What did you learn? I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to rate it somewhere between a 9 and a 10. Definitely a speech that unified the nation and talked about all of our achievements we've had over the last two years, etc. Well, look, if it was about the achievements of America right now, it would have been the quickest speech that's ever been given in our history. Ouch. You know, the point is, is this. The American people, he can spend things, they can try to lie, they can point fingers, but the American people know the truth because they feel it and they're living it every single day. 
They know that our gas prices are still high. They know the rate of inflation is continuing to put people almost out in the streets, and in some cases they are. They know our cost of living has actually gone up at least 13 to 15% for the average person. They know that these jobs reports that they're trying to claim is such a big achievement. They're not saying that this is people getting a second and a third job to try and maintain what the cost of living is. They're trying to act as if it's a new job that has just been created, which is completely false. So, you know, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and all the Dems, they can continue to try and spend this. But the American people know the truth because they're living it every day. Did you, uh, by any chance, get, get a glimpse of uh, Minority Leader Jeffries this morning uh, finger-waving at Republicans talking about some misbehaviors during the State of the Union, forgetting that just, you know, uh, three short years ago you had the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, rip up the actual State of the Union draft uh, on the House floor? Yeah, again, this is the hypocrisy of the left. These are the same people who would say, Oh, you know, the, the conservatives, the Republicans, the extreme MAGA, they're insurrectionists, but then they won't talk about the fact that in 2020 they were encouraging riots in our streets. Yep. You know, they won't talk about Nancy ripping up the president's address behind him and the, you know, AOC and Rashida Tlaib and all them yelling from the stand. They want to continue to try and point fingers. Look, Hakeem Jeffries is one of the biggest hypocrites in Congress, followed by Swalwell and Ted Lieu. And so I am not concerned at all when I hear that Hakeem Jeffries is finger pointing or Hakeem Jeffries is saying this or that. It's all political theatrics. Yeah, it certainly was. And uh, we're going to get away from this right now and start talking about some serious stuff. You began committee work this week. What can you tell our listenership about that getting kicked off? So great to be on the committees that I'm on. I'm on the Armed Services and the Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, I'm on the Subcommittee in Foreign Affairs for Oversight. Uh, which is going to be chaired by Congressman Brian Mack. One of the first things that we're going after is the botched Afghan withdrawal. We will get transparency. We will get accountability. We will start doing our subpoenas here very soon so that we can actually get to the bottom of why they put politics or a military strategy, which cost 13 service members their lives, as well as for other Americans left behind. Uh, with the Armed Services Committee, we are looking into not just the defense industrial base, and how they have been doing certain things that are, you know, gouging the American taxpayers. But also we're going to look at the supply chain issues where far too much of our product is actually made overseas. And in some cases within China, we are being outpaced militarily, economically by China. They are the greatest existential threat. We need to be able to try and ramp up to meet that threat when it does occur. You know, China is now at a level of military buildup that has never been seen before in the world's history. The only thing that would be even reminiscent of this would be America in World War II. And so we have to start looking at this. On the uh, Armed Services Committee, I'll be the uh, going on to the subcommittee of the Intelligence and Special Operations, uh, headed up by Congressman Jack Bergman, who's a former general. So we're going to be doing a lot to understand our asymmetric, irregular warfare stuff. Uh, and I'll also be the vice chair of the subcommittee of Africa for Foreign Affairs, uh, where we'll be looking at how China has gone in and has started basically advancing itself economically through the resource warfare they launched against the West. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, sir. You talk about the uh, 
you know, uh, Armed Services Committee to the strategic readiness and and, and how we've uh, kind of gotten away, especially after Balloon Gate happened over the course of, of the last ten days. You know, just just optically, and then you know, we spent a good portion of our show talking about how China is doing everything from the normal things, the IP, the espionage, the manipulation of global currency, all the way down to interfering uh, what's going on in Ukraine, where they're. You know, supplying military equipment and logistics to Russia on one side and then courting the Ukrainian government saying we will definitely rebuild everything that they blow up when this is over. And, uh, you know, it seems like they're the one out of all this stuff, starting from the pandemic all the way up through the, the crisis in Ukraine right now, uh, that's done nothing but a whole bunch of winning a whole bunch of expanding and like you said their military is at levels like we've never seen before and it's something that i don't think necessarily a lot of people at the dod take as seriously as uh maybe congress people like you do well i think that's exactly right i mean we have to and i've been writing about it for years you can find one of my articles that was called the great superpower resurgence while america sleeps and i talk about the russia china iran north korea geopolitical alignment and this is years ago I talk about the economic resource warfare, and even in one of our subcommittee meetings recently, I had one of our witnesses who claimed that we're not at war with China, and I very quickly disproved that, and I said, well, the U.S. may have not been at war with China, but the last two decades, China has absolutely been at war with the U.S., and you look at that through the billions of dollars in intellectual property, you look at that through Chairman Xi's Road and Belt Initiative, where he is expanding the Eurasian border, taking Africa, taking Oceania. That'll allow them to control the portage and railways, which means they can cut Western Hemisphere supply chain off. You're seeing Russia and China working together in South America, where they've taken a communist manifesto for uh, the Chavez in Venezuela, Pedro in Colombia. They're starting to get into Honduras and Panama, where they actually are in the Darien Gap, printing fentanyl that's killing you know, tens of thousands every single year of Americans. Yep. And as I told him, these fentanyl presses that they're actually sending across to poison Americans, that is active war against the U.S. The surveillance balloons, that is active violation of U.S. airspace. They are not being covert. They are being overt. And the reason why is because they know that we have a weak administration. They saw what we did in Afghanistan. They saw our response in Ukraine. They saw our response to the surveillance balloon. They see that our open borders are basically not being shut, not being dealt with. And so China feels emboldened, as does all of our adversaries. And if we want to get answers, we need to start holding our adversaries accountable. We need to start listing them as adversaries and not allies. We need to stop any type of reliance on our adversaries and bring it and make it and build it here at home. And the first thing we have to be building and manufacturing is our American fossil fuels. We need to be exporters of LNG. We need to do a very similar thing that Russia did to Germany where they allowed Germany to become so dependent on their energy system that they now are. We have to stop what we're doing with this 1980s style of domestic international policy and start understanding that energy independence, energy dominance, that's the global currency. Yep. That's what Americans are focusing on. It's very buildup. The fact that we need to be getting rid of this woke indoctrination, this CRT in our schools and academies, this ESG in our corporations, this DEI in our military, we need to get back to increased lethality, energy independence, and economic growth. So we, we probably are going to need fossil fuels for a little bit more than 10 years, like Joe Biden <laughs> said at the State of the Union address on Tuesday. I, I, I'm sorry, but that was just like a clown show you know, tactic for him to even try and say, oh, well, maybe we will need it a little bit longer. Well, of course we do. But meanwhile, 
he's trying to transition everything over to China's EV systems that allows the lithium, the cobalt, the nickel, all of these things, all the rare mineral mines where China controls 15 of the 16 rare mineral mines in the world, where we would basically see to boost their economy. I mean, think about the ridiculousness of this. We're boosting the economy of our adversary that wants to destroy us, right. who wants to eliminate the U.S. dollar as a global currency, who wants to throw us in hyperinflation, who's utilizing social media and other types of tactics for you know, cultural warfare here at home, launching fentanyl across the pillars, going after our allies. I mean, this is the most ridiculous thing. It's like paying a kid every single day your lunch money to punch you in the face. No, I mean, you laid it out pretty accurately there, Congressman. And, uh, you know, moving forward with the start of these committees, it does look like China is going to finally be in the crosshairs, at least in, in, on the side of uh, House Republicans. And we're looking extremely forward to seeing all of you guys really start to peel back the layers there and showing the American people the actual receipts. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, because I know it's really important for you. I did see this week you're proposing a bill. It's going to be targeting sexually explicit content in schools, and it would bar federal funds for being used for it. Do you want to tell our listenership a little bit about it? Yeah, so I have been talking about this with the campaign trail. And again, one more thing that I'm trying to deliver on with my promises, but it is a uh, bill. It is House Resolution 863. It will go after the publishing houses, whether it's McGraw-Hill, Scholastic, you name it, who publish pornographic or inappropriate material with the explicit intent of distribution into our primary and secondary schools. And if they do this, then the publishing house will be subject to a fine of up to a half million dollars, but the highest ranking person who actually approves distribution of this pornographic or inappropriate material will be looking to face at least a minimum of a one-year, one-day imprisonment. Mm. That's definitely something that uh, excites us here on the show as we've been talking about it. In extent, we actually had Catalina Stubbe, you probably know from the great state of Florida, on the show with us oh, yeah. just the other day, and she's talking about all the good works uh, that she's been doing, and here we are ending the week parlaying it into the uh, legislation that you're proposing and that we hope there's a lot of congressmen out there who are very passionate about you know, getting the garbage out of uh, our kids' schools and the sexually explicit material away from our you know youngest students all, all across the country, and, and we're glad to see you working on something, and we hope it gets a lot of backing and, and makes it to the House floor. Congressman, anyone that's not following you and wants to uh, see everything that's going on with you, you want to let out your social medias, we'll link your congressional website in the show description today as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on personal, which is at Corey Mills FL. You can also follow our press releases, which is at Rep Mills Press. Uh, that's on Twitter. That's on uh, Instagram. I think it goes all the way across our platforms. Awesome, and we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. We will be looking forward to sitting down with you again soon, Congressman. This is the House Representative who's in charge of Florida 7, Mr. Corey Mills. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks so much for having me. appreciate it. Take care. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh. you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bills. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable... 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. So what do you think the state of our union is right now as it stands? Well, I believe that Joe Biden is a president in decline and I worry about America joining him in that decline. 
We need an economic vision. We've had 21 straight months in this country where inflation has outpaced wage growth. We've seen five straight weeks of rising gas prices again now. The president was only able to temporarily alleviate that upward pressure on gas prices by playing politics with the strategic petroleum reserve. And you can't exactly go back and continue to do that. And so the costs of regular goods for Americans, the cost of energy that compounds inflation, that's really something where the, pl the president needs to articulate a path forward. Joe Biden, if left to his own devices, might give 10 pages of all of his bills he's passed, data points, of which there are a lot of good ones, to be honest. But the way people feel, how you make them feel who are watching at home, forget the room, move beyond the room yes. and whatever crazy heckling is going to happen sure. in there. If they feel like I am invisible, he sees me, he hears me, that's economic. That is, I'm worried about my rights as a woman to an abortion. That is, I'm worried about police brutality. There's a lot of meanings to that. And that message is, is exactly what he needs to say. Even these House Republicans will not separate themselves from Ukraine, but on China. What Joe Biden did tonight by not taking on China more aggressively was politically, politically courageous, if you will, in terms of the domestic support. Because mm -hmm. as you know very well, the polling is that, you know, 75 percent of America. There's no downside getting tough on China. Yeah, right. there's no they downside. They want a tougher line and yep. the Republicans are in line with that and a lot of democrats are and there's going to be a resolution next week and it's going to pass with democratic support biggest speech of the year any president gives but what he needs to do is tell a story joe biden is an amazing storyteller i mean you sit in the oval office crane can tell you and he can storytell for six hours people realize biden is hitting it out of the park the working family sitting in front of that tv said he's talking to me because the soul of this nation is strong because the backbone of this nation is strong. Because the people of this nation are strong. The State of the Union is strong. And that was some of the sounds leading up to the start of the State of the Union address. Highly exaggerated and such. I'm sure, Noah, you enjoyed every single one of those. What a joke. Hmm. And this is Steak for Breakfast. If it's your first time listening to the show, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Don't forget to follow us across every social media. Just type in Steak for Breakfast podcast. You'll find us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, every downloadable podcasting platform. Subscribe to the show, give it a rating, leave a review. We appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure you're all going to appreciate our soup to nuts coverage of the State of the Union address. It was also awesome sitting down with Congressman Corey Mills. Always a pleasure to sit and chat a bit with him. He's got a pretty big workload on his hand. What do you think about that, Noah? He sounds like he's going to be busy. Very busy. And, and when it's targeting things like the sexual exploitation of students in schools and the CCP, I like it. But uh, yeah, Joe Biden had his State of the Union address. It was laughable. Uh, wait, what else? Uh, embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Cringeworthy. Well, as, as the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse predicted on our last episode of the show. Oh, lies upon lies upon lies. And lots of uh, pretend victory laps. Yes. So we do have to point out, though, um, Joe Biden did tout some of his achievements that, you know, because of the numbers in the House and Senate last year, he was able to uh, get to his benchmarks at some bipartisan legislation. He, he took a couple of victory laps on the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Non-Reduction Act. He talked about the bridges he built with his great friend Mitch McConnell. Can't forget that. Hey, if we post the clips from the State of the Union on Instagram, are they going to fact check them? Probably not. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. 
sad, but uh, no, there was a there was actually some some posts on the official White House Twitter account this week uh, that have been getting misleading information. Oh, really? In regards to the jobs numbers and inflation, gas prices, and stuff like that. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. That's uh, the cracks are forming. No, I mean not that they're planning. I mean they're 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 about ready to wash this guy over the overboard. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> the rats are uh, in the lifeboat and and getting off of the Titanic as fast as as they can. Um, I have a child. Yeah, I have a cheese wedge. <laughs> For all the things that Joe Biden, uh, we knew he was going to talk about. I tried to pick the clips outside of that. Uh, some of the ones that we tend to focus on on this show. Uh, one of those being, and was was close to the beginning of his speech after he said, "Obviously, the state of the nation is amazing," and uh, such. Our nation. <laughs> Well, funny you point that out because he, he segued that right into talking about how awesome Ukraine is. Oh, perfect. So that's that's probably the nation he meant. Right. The greatest money laundering operation in the history of the galaxy rolls on as uh Vladimir went and took his uh three ring circus to England. I thought you meant his green sweatshirt. And to Russia. <laughs> it was pretty awesome to see everybody clapping for him when he got off the, the plane yesterday, everybody except Victor Orban, who just sat there, and then later Orban tweeted with like his hand wrenching uh, Zelensky almost backwards, saying like, "We don't clap, we shake hands." Mm. So it was, it was, he's over there in Europe right now, grifting for the planes, and it looks like the UK might be the first one to uh, bend the knee to that request. As long as it's not us, I guess it's getting ugly. <laughs> but uh, stick sticking with Ukraine, Joe Biden. I don't want to tease it. Okay, I'm going to spoil it. Tease Forever Wars. Let's Mm. hear it. We're once again joined by Ukrainian's ambassador to the United States. She represents not just her nation, but the courage of her people. Ambassador, our ambassador is here. United, we're in uniting our support of your country. Will you stand so we can all take a look at you? Thank you. Because we're going to stand with you as long as it takes. As long as it takes. He finally said that. As long as it takes for what? You know, I actually thought when he was talking to her before they showed her face, I thought it was going to be Ron DeSantis' comms director, Christine Pushaw, who's a registered foreign agent of Georgia and Ukraine and a big appreciator of the Ukraine war. Mm. Pretty weird, right? Don't worry, gang. We're going to get to railing on Ron DeSantis a little bit later in the show when we have Alex Brusowitz on. But, um, yeah, so another big lie that Joe Biden told during the State of the Union was that, uh, well. Wait, which one? The one that they're using in all of their campaign videos right oh. now is that Republicans are coming for, you know, all your stuff, especially Social Security and Medicare. It's not really a thing. Never a thing. Donald Trump put out a uh, reiteration of that notion in one of his Campaign videos this week, which I know a lot of people who listen to this show absolutely love, except Noah when it comes to the editing. Mm. You know what? I'm just going to go out and say it. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. I'm going to segue real quick. I, I saw, you know, we've been trying hard to get Papa T on the show. Yeah. I got another reassuring text yesterday, and I'm quoting now, it's going to happen. Okay, that's fine. I saw that Papa T shared some random podcast on true social. I go and click on the account of the person who has it first thing pinned to the top of the thing. 
I am a member of the QAnon army. And I'm just like, mm. screenshotted it, sent it to everybody, and everybody just sent me the emoji of the person doing like the, I don't know what to tell you hands. I feel like there's probably, I don't know, more substantive podcasts. You could probably, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the subject matter was, but I mean. Well, I was talking to Christina Bob about it, who is our Valentine with Josh Hammer on our Tuesday edition of the show coming up next week. We also got talking about, uh, I told her we miss her. And I also told her that uh, if she ever is looking for work, she could always, you know, do a podcast. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, I'd like to do a podcast with you guys. And I was like, well, what would we call that? I said, Christina for breakfast sounds really weird. (laughs) (laughs) And then she said something and I sent her the gift. It's like the person spraying the Lysol. It's like, you nasty. But, uh, you know, (laughs) it's just one of those things where when you're talking about the big lies and the, and the Biden administration, it seems like those are some of the biggest pillars uh, that's been able to prop this guy up. For as much as he can't read off the teleprompter without losing his spot, just saying words that aren't even part of the English language. It's making them up. Walking in directions that are the opposite of where he's supposed to go and shaking invisible people's hands. It's like the most fucked up Mad Libs you've ever seen. He always finds a way to circle back to ultra MAGA Republicans mm. and, and remember what happened two years ago. It was worse than the civil war and, and all this other stuff that just really doesn't, I mean, listen, I'm really appreciative of Corey Mills coming on the show and kicking off the top of our cold open with us today. However, I am more appreciative of the fact that he sat through that whole frigging thing last week or I'm sorry, earlier this week. He didn't take a nap like Fetterman. Well, I mean, he didn't take the super based house rep, mary miller route she just didn't fucking go she's like i'm not going i'm not subjecting myself to that it must have been painful in person yeah it was painful just the the minimal exposure i had to it in the background while i was doing something else don't you like how i sent you the montage of pictures yeah (laughs) now as we're going through it it, didn't i paint it perfectly yeah it was bad (laughs) you want to talk about the kiss oh weird what was that all about I mean, I know our listenership is definitely tuned in because I've shared several memes of it, and so has every other large meme account on on the planet. Of uh, let's see, it's the first lady and the first Mister shared like an almost open mouth, lip to lip, like yeah. So, <clears throat> devil's advocate. Okay, I'm just gonna assume they were going for the cheeks. Yeah. So. It's a high visibility event. You know, everybody's watching you. But the li- everybody's trying not to fuck up. <laughs> I mean, when you're in front of a bunch of people and you know everybody's watching you and you're trying to, like, shake somebody's hand, like, you start doing, like, the, I put out my hand, you reach for your hat, like, that old fucking, you know, back and forth. Gotcha. I just feel like they just went, they were doing the the cheek kiss and one person went, you know, they, I went left, you went right. We both closed our eyes and next thing you know, your tongue's in my mouth. But... (laughs) It does look really weird and bad, but I'm, I mean, it probably was nothing. It was probably just an accident. Perfect representation of the regime though. An accident. Yeah. yeah. Like a hot dumpster fire, yeah. like crashing into a nuclear power Like plant. I meant to do this, but this is what happened. Mm. Let's hear Joe Biden spout a couple lies and uh, here's some booze from the House Republican uh, Freedom Caucus section. Secure the sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. <laughs> Contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. 
That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if, Conversation? if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they'd go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant... But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks, the idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond, folks. It was at that moment that Mike Lee made the face that I shared in a tweet later on where he's just like, he's like this, like, what the fuck? Like, Mike Lee's head exploded, and I just screen capped it and put that face you make when you know you have to break down the State of the Union for the show on Friday. And it was just, I, I, I mean, I don't even know where this guy was going with some of that stuff, but Hakeem Jeffries. The, the rest home? As we touched on with, with uh, Congressman Corey Mills just a little bit ago. You know, came out today in his uh, minority leader. That sounds so bad because Hakeem Jeffries is an African-American. we got to call him minority leader for the next two years. Oof. He's not the leader of the minorities. He's the leader of the minority party in the House. Um, sounds like a South Park clip. Right? Oof. Well, we're definitely not calling him Token. No. no. <laughs> so he came out today and said, like, that kind of behavior in the State of the Union address, the back-and-forth banter like that, that Joe Biden fed into – uh, you know, is unacceptable and, you know, won't be tolerated and this, that, and the other thing. And it's just a really bad representation of what the State of the Union is going to look like. This literally coming out while he was Nancy Pelosi's number two when the Dems had the majority and she was Speaker in the House and she ripped up an official copy of the speech. Yeah, I feel like that kind of one-ups a disrespect level. Yeah. Because there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, she knew she was visible doing that. It wasn't like... The camera caught her off to the side, and she was just angrily shredding paper. No, she hauled it up behind the guy's fucking head. And no, I know you didn't watch the whole thing in its entirety, but to watch Kevin McCarthy in his chair, like, make squinty eyes and do, like, the shh. He puckered his lips to, like, do the shh, like, trying to be, like, when they were yelling and screaming, and we'll get into a little bit more of that. He was giving a disapproval, disapproving uh, glare. <laughs> but here's the thing. Kevin McCarthy tweeted a picture of, like, the whole setup, Joe Biden talking and, and him sitting next to Kamala Harris, and you want to know what his tweet was? Have you ever had really great tickets to a really bad sporting event? Mm. So, I mean, st still being based. Yeah. And, uh, listen, before the State of the Union address, Matt Gates, believe it or not, gave him a uh, so far rating of A+. plus. So hmm. his, his harshest critic just a month ago now is, uh, you know, I wouldn't say singing his praises, but definitely approving of the job that he's done so far and uh, being tough on, on the debt ceiling and the negotiations that that's going to take uh, is definitely one of the things I'm sure Matt Gates appreciative of and the kick of, of all the congressional hearings that are getting underway, which we're going to get to in a little bit. I don't know if you heard the one gaffe, Noah. It was uh, definitely one gaffe. Well, this one gaffe that, that brought quite a few boos and, I don't know, jeers and things that you just don't see at the State of the Union address. And it was Joe Biden talking about oil and how much longer we're going to need it. Oh, people laughed at him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know where. Like that, that couldn't have been on the teleprompter. There's no fucking way. What do you mean? It was on the teleprompter. Why would? 
Listen, you have governors. Uh, Pritzker up in Illinois. You have Gavin Newsom out in California saying by 2035, gas-powered vehicles are gone. So are your gas stoves. This is all part of the plan. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he, he's not as optimistic as they are. Let's hear it. Reduction. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, well, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed... <laughs> And beyond that, we're going to need it. Production. If they had, in fact, invested in the production to keep gas prices down, instead, they used the record profits to buy back their own stock, rewarding the CEOs and shareholders. Corporations ought to do the right thing. What are they supposed to do, Joe? What do you want them to do, Joe? I mean, that could very well be true, but... Where was the money going to go with the oil leases that weren't available to to be drilled upon? Mm-hmm. Hey, regardless of what's getting drilled and how much red tape they're putting in between the over 9,000 permits that no one could get to, yeah, Chevron, BP, and Shell all had beyond record revenue uh, over the course of last year when their annual reports came out not too long ago. Imagine that. With gas getting close to like $10 a gallon in some part of the countries last year. But I thought they weren't making money on it. Oh, they're making money. So the southern border was something that he really didn't touch on. And, uh, of course, he used the one virtue single that we've been telling everybody that everyone's going to use as a virtue single throughout the course of the next entire election cycle, and that's fentanyl. And and I'll explain it again. Fentanyl is a major component of the crisis on the U.S. southern border, but it's a small cog in the bigger machine. I saw a good stat the other day. In the last year of the Trump administration, it it was estimated that the Mexican cartels made approximately $55 million. I believe that 100%. Throughout the course of their, you know, big business. Guess how much they made in the last fiscal year, Noah? Oh, uh, quadruple that. $13 $13 billion in one year. I don't know if that was quadrupled, but that was a lot. It's a lot. Well, I mean, if you're reading off of Joe Biden's stats, I'm going to have a good one about the State of the Union at the end. Don't let me forget. I'm actually going to write it down right now and circle it. Uh, let's hear Joe Biden talk about the fentanyl crisis and the House Republicans that tell him whose fault it is. He told us he wants to start a journey toward American recovery. Doug, we're with you. Fentanyl is killing more than 70,000 Americans a year. Yep. You got it. You got it? You hear me yelling, it's your fault. Yeah. Close the border. You got it. But, like, really? So let's launch a major surge to stop fentanyl production and the sale and trafficking with more drug detection machines, inspection cargo, stop pills and powder at the border. Working with couriers like FedEx to inspect more packages for drugs. Strong penalties to crack down on fentanyl trafficking. So he, Wait, so they, all the people that aren't doing their jobs in the wide open border, that's not... We we're going to have FedEx check a couple more boxes. No, we're going to have FedEx check boxes in the mailing centers. Oh, perfect. Yeah, not at the border. Not at the border. They're going to partner with FedEx. They're, they're not going to have the air marshals and FedEx go to the border to hand out juice boxes? You know what happens when they partner with FedEx? FedEx is getting ready to say they're in the red and do a whole bunch of layoffs. Oh, Joe, yeah. Joe Biden's going to go do some fentanyl ops, and they're going to take, you know, like when they show the meme of the cops who find, like, a bag of weed, 
and it's like the four cops standing around the table. It's like the big bust. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be like they find a couple bags of pills, and he's like, see, it's working, but then you're going to see that they gave FedEx like $10 billion yeah. to do to find a Ziploc bag full of fentanyl. I mean, it was, it was ibuprofen, but whatever. Good Lord. So did you hear uh, the, the people in the audience, though, yelling, it's your fault? Yeah, well, it is. And uh, I saved a couple of the best for last, even though I'm sure you probably think that the ones we've heard so far were amazing. He got really embarrassed when they started yelling at him. Like when you're watching the video and they start yelling and, and he's like, yeah. And they're like, it's your fault. And he just like kind of smiles and then looks to the side and he's just like sitting there frozen for a second. And he, he like stutters to go start reading back to the teleprompter. Somebody hooked up the battery again. I, I think he gets like really scared sometimes when it's like loud noises, stuff that's not supposed to happen starts happening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was what it was. I know, well, let me ask you a question. Noah, do you think there's a lot of dictators on the planet or, like, maybe even warlords who would want to trade spots with, let's just say, Chairman Xi? All of his protection and money and army and fentanyl. Endless power. Like, they want to take his spot? Yeah. Probably, Probably, right? Yeah. All the bad guys want to be the number one bad guy? Yeah, why wouldn't you want to be the Bond villain? Well, Joe Biden... uh, doesn't really think that that's the case. Oh, perfect. He wants you to name a world leader who would want to switch spots with, with uh, well, Emperor Xi. Let's hear this good one. Autocracy's grown weaker, not stronger. Name me a world leader. He's yelling again. Who changed places with Xi Jinping. Oh. Name me one. Name me one. America's rallying the world to meet those challenges. Visible confusion From climate to global health, <laughs> to food insecurity, to terrorism, to mm. territorial aggression. Allies are stepping up, spending more, and doing more. Food insecurity? Is that from Look, inflation? Yeah. The bridges were forming between partners in the Pacific and those in the Atlantic. And he just goes right back to what the a, What about George Foreman? That was like one of the few times he went off the teleprompter, and you could like hear the murmuring in the background, and they're like, do we clap or boo? And he's like, I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Our State of the Union is a hot fucking mess right now. And then, of course, I had to save the best for last because I don't know if you know this, Noah. I know Senator Mike Lee from Utah definitely enjoyed it. Uh, It it was probably the quote of the entire night. And uh, I'm going to try and read it here verbatim. I I spelled it out so I, I wanted to phonetically be able to block this one in for you because no matter, I don't know if he's talking about like um, pharmaceuticals, I don't know if he's talking about the cost of eggs or a used car in this economy, but make no mistake, if you try anything to raise the cost of, I will veto it. And, and you want to know what the funny part is? Well, that just no, that's that. It's a, it's a, it's a freebie. Now we can just veto anything. Well, let's hear. If all- you try to do, I'm gonna veto it. So just whatever, whatever you want to veto, just veto it. I saved it for last because of all the trained seals that just get up and give him a standing ovation after he says it. Let's hear it. Make no mistake. If you try anything to raise the cost of presenting jobs, I will veto it. Can I hear that again? For the people in the back? <laughs> I think it's prescription drugs. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm thinking too, but here we go. Make no mistake. If you try anything to raise the cost of presenting jobs, I will veto it. <laughs> oh, boy. 
So that, ladies and gentlemen, was our State of the Union. Mm. CNN was quick to drop a poll shortly thereafter. And then how long until they deleted the poll? I fact-checked it quite hard. I don't really like, I hate math. But I went, you know, I said, this is wrong, and I know it's going to be a mega ratio. I'll be able to do Joe Biden's personal account when he tweets, the White House official account, CNN, and I went through and I did them all. 72% of Americans agreed with or approved of Joe Biden's State of the Union speech. Based on how many people watching. Listen, in the fine print it says, of actual viewers. Yeah, viewers. Yesterday, Nielsen released the ratings. And then the lowest one, lower than any of the four Trump State of the Union. Lower than a Super Bowl halftime show. The lowest rated State of the Union speech in 35 years. Only 27.3 million people watched it. 35 years. <laughs> so listen to this. So, so 72%... Of all polled, including Republicans, right, mm -hmm. approved. And then you take that up against the number of 27.3 million. Okay. You divide it by the 335-plus million citizens in the United States. Okay. I actually have Joe Biden's real poll numbers here. What is it? 12% approve. Approve of Joe Biden's State of the Union speech. I mean, you can't argue with, I mean, hi hypothetically speaking, if math wasn't racist, then you can't argue with that. How dare me? Yeah. So the legislative juggernaut and, oh. and bipartisan infrastructure-er <laughs> navigated through uh, a 40-some-odd-minute speech. He wandered around the floor and got to see all the things, like he took a selfie with Sheila Jackson Lee. He got to see Mitt Romney and George Santos get into a slap fight, start saying the F word to each other really? on the House floor. Mitt Romney's like, you don't belong here. You're a disgrace. You should be sitting in the back. And George Santos was like, how fucking dare you? Like, you'll never be president. And then they were tweeting, and it was ugly. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. And then they asked, they asked McCarthy the day after, out of all the things about the State of the Union, he's walking into his office, and they're like, hey, I want to ask you a question about the State of the Union. And he slows down as he's, like, going up the steps, and they're like, hey, did you see Mitt Romney and George Santos get into it yesterday? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, you don't think George Santos should be sitting in the back and being quiet? And they're like, Who's asked Eric Swalwell to leave Congress? And the lady just like looked at him and he kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he wasn't the guy we wanted, but while he's there, he's he's not, you know, he's not taking too many hits that are terrible so far. I've been listening to a lot of commentary on George Santos. You know how we feel on this show. I don't really think that his resume or, or background is really relevant uh, in the job that he needs to do while he's in Congress, if he follows through on his promises. That's number one. Number two, a lot of people don't know this is a second congressional race. They had, you know, the last five years to get all this stuff out there, the drag queen story time stuff that he did, and whether he was married to a guy or a gal, and whether he's wanted in 10 different countries for Shouldn't they for like murder. that? Shouldn't that be like a positive for the other side? Washington, D.C. is accessible for some of the most vile people that have ever walked this earth. Yeah. I mean, everybody from the people that are in Congress now, all the way up to, like, the big boys, like the Donald Rumfeld and the Dick Cheney, like, the people that, like, would go into rooms and probably choke prisoners of war to death with their old, cold, bare hands. <laughs> and they want to get George Santos for putting on a fucking Chiquita Banana uh, spokesperson outfit and, and dancing with a whole bunch of drag queens in Brazil and then saying he, like, played college volleyball when he didn't because he's... Knock, need, and kind I of think chubby. that's just an airport screening there, isn't it? And you know what? People like Mitt Romney, I, I don't understand what it is with him. He, he just became, he, he just followed the path of a loser. Like, you win your whole life, you're propped up your whole life, you know, you go to the country club and it's like, <laughs> like, we're the best of everything, and then you fucking get completely embarrassed 
like you did with, you know, your race to, and, and he just goes down the same path as people like the Bushes after they left office, the Clintons after they left office, John McCain after his two failed White House runs, and then obviously Mitt Romney, and then they see somebody like Donald Trump walk in there, and it's like, it breaks you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still breaking Democrats for, for the most part to this day. There was a lot of that speech when Joe Biden talked about trade, when he talked about jobs, when he talked about infrastructure, he used a lot of Donald Trump's talking points that were said throughout the course of all of his State of the Union address, hire American, buy American, bring American jobs back, open up new factories. And it's just like, that's kind of what caters to like the politically uneducated and the boomers. Like, oh, see, you know, he did just say, but, but the fact of the matter is he's talking about jobs now, and we like that stuff. Maybe it is good old Scranton Joe mm. as, as like a top secret document that he stole from the skiff falls out of his friggin' pocket, but it was ugly. Afterwards, we saw a couple rebuttals. Uh, Donald Trump gave one, his State of the Union, while he was live-truthing the whole time, making fun of Joe Biden and Joe Biden and everybody else there. You know, Kristen Cinema looked like an a, actual banana she wore like a an evening gown that was like highlighter yellow. Like you could see everybody in the friggin' audience in front of Joe Biden when they would pan out and then she was like a glaring like probably when he messed up it was because like she caught his eye. And um there was also the official Republican rebuttal from uh Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the newly elected governor of Arkansas. I thought her speech was medium. She hit a lot of talking points. She did talk about how the Democrats now expect pretty much everybody in the country to just bow down to their virtue signaling, equity, ritualistic behavior. Uh, she, she also told, like, in the middle of her rebuttal speech, a fairly long story about a time when she went to, uh, you know when Donald Trump did the surprise Christmas in Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. She talked about that story in detail, like the people that were involved what it was like when they left, when they landed, in the mess hall, how all the people looked. The thing that bugged me is she didn't mention Donald Trump's name one time. And I don't know if that's, like, pre-manufactured to be that way because they don't want to recognize Donald Trump as the leader of the Republican Party when you're trying to talk to, like, that big boomer base that's still going to be watching following a State of the Union. But, um... Yeah, it, it was really interesting to see how that went down. I mean, Donald Trump's talk he, he had all the things like screw China, energy independence, secure the border, crimes out of control, and, uh, you know, talked about how Joe Biden's kind of just wrecked the country. Uh, everything from the Green New Deal to, like I said, the border and, and letting China go all over the place, even even to our national security now. I, I saw you Googling it. Did you find the picture of her? No, I couldn't find it. Oh, she's quite banana-y. Um, so, yeah, as we're getting ready to wrap here, we're going to be talking about, let's stick in the, you know, Joe Biden gave a lot of hopium or fake policies, but we're going to start talking about some real ones right now, uh, like some of the ones that have been proposed down at the New York Young Republicans Club. All right, coming in now to uh, talk about a multitude of things regarding just about everything we're touching on the show today. He's the president of the New York Young Republicans Club, great friend of the show, Mr. Gavin Wax. Thanks for jumping back on with us. Thank you guys for having me. It's always great to be on uh, Steak for Breakfast. It's always great to host you, sir. How's everything going on your end? What can you give our listenership an update on that's going on at the New York Young Republicans Club? 
Oh, we're having uh we're kicking off the year strong. We have a fantastic event coming up on March 10th with the uh, the infamous Roger Stone. Uh, we're going to be doing martinis, cigars. Uh, we have a whole speakeasy in Lower Manhattan booked. We're expecting about 150 to 200 people. Open bar, food. Uh, Roger is going to be pouring, hand pouring a, a martini for each person who arrives. Apparently, it's going to be the uh, the martini of choice for uh, former President Richard Nixon. And then we also have our friend uh, Raheem Kassam, who uh, is going to be speaking with us this month uh, on the 19th of February in regards to the club winning uh, the National Pulse's Patriots of the Year Award. We were very honored to win that, uh, that award uh, from a great uh, publications such as the National Pulse, which is doing great investigative work uh, under the helm of its editor-in-chief, Raheem Kassam. So we have two great events coming up, and it's going to be an action-packed uh, 2023 from the club for the club uh, in terms of speakers and others. Yeah, those sound like two great events right there. I mean, you can't beat it with Roger Stone, especially when he's going to be the one making the drinks. And then when you talk about Mr. Raheem Kassam there, the work he does is pretty much unparalleled when you talk about investigative journalism, and uh, we love having him on the show. He was actually on our last episode, our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, and he provided a lot of great receipts that our listenership really enjoyed. So one of the things I want to talk to you about, at, since we're talking about the club, you guys recently put out your 2023 uh New York Young Republican Club platform. Now, why don't you let our listenership know, we've talked about the club and all the great works, definitely the events like the Gallon stuff. They all love seeing when you guys host that stuff. But but the New York Young Republicans Club does so much more and, and really is trying to help shape the next generation of, as cliche as it sounds, young Republicans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've put a lot of work uh, onto the policy side of what we do. We have a whole committee dedicated to it, putting out statements, putting out even things close to white papers, putting out a full holistic national level platform uh, for 2023. The club has historically been very involved going back, you know, many decades with, you know, uh, attempts to shape and shift uh, the platform of the GOP at the state and national level. And I think it's an area uh, that the parties have sort of been slacking on as of late at the national level, at the state level, really being able to come up with a comprehensive vision uh, and agenda uh, in terms of policy and views for the party, you know, what do we believe in? What do we support? I mean, it's it's one thing to be against something. We're against this. We're against that. Well, what are you actively supporting? What is your vision? Uh, you know, what what is your worldview, and how does it play out uh, in the real world? And I think the left is very good at painting uh, those sort of pictures and 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 putting together a sort of. Uh, you know, agenda that encapsulates their beliefs. And of course, sometimes it's utopian and ridiculous and all the rest, but at least they're presenting something. And many times our side of the aisle uh, tends to be just sort of, uh, you know, uh, just just we're against that, but we're not for anything. So I think it's important to have a constructive a well thought out, detailed, bulleted uh, policy platform broken up into several different areas, whether it's, you know, reindustrializing the heartland or family policy or securing the border or trade, uh, all these things. Let's let's see the actual policy positions, what we want to do if we are in power, what our views are. And I think, you know, the club is happy to be leading the way in crafting a sort of populist America first agenda that others could look to emulate. And I think this is something that should happen uh, through the party infrastructure and other organizations. And I think it's what makes us unique uh, as a holistic organization that does more than just, you know, the socials and the galas and the speakers, but we're actively uh, engaged on the policy side of things, which is really where uh, the meat and potatoes of uh, politics is made. 
Now, that's like one of the things that I admire about, you know, not only you, but everybody that's, you know, connected to the club is that you guys really do literally roll up your sleeves and get dirty in it, which is what I kind of want to stay in the same thread of. I feel, and I've talked about it on the show in great extent, you know, we've got some great people in the Senate. We've got amazing people that you guys back in the House Freedom Caucus. Uh, we, we obviously have a populist presidential candidate in President Trump who you guys have endorsed, as have we. I do fear, though, with this massive pushback, both from within the right currently and whatever's going to wind up shaking down on the left, we really are at the end of the road for the populist movement if we cannot get the president back in the White House uh, following this election. How important is it right now to, to be able to explain to our listenership just like the impactfulness of this upcoming election and what it could mean for all the work that we've done for such a long time in, in to bring in like, you know, the America first agenda back and actually having receipts on it. If we were to get a Democrat for another term in the white house, or let's just say a completely establishment candidate on the Republican side as well. I mean, look, it's certainly a, a pivotal election. It's going to make a big difference in, in the direction of the country. Uh, but we're in it for the long, the long haul. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, we, we need to look, uh, at a multi-cycle, uh, sort of outlook. It can't just be one cycle. As important as this may be, uh, we cannot descend into nihilism or pessimism. We have to realize there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, these ideological victories and political victories take uh, a long time and, and it requires, uh, you know, a lot of dedicated effort on behalf of, you know, the grassroots, the volunteers, the thought leaders, the politicians, whoever it is. Uh, but yeah, this would be a pivotal election for the future of our country. I mean, we've seen how disastrous one term can be or two terms uh, in the case of Obama. So there's a lot uh, that is at stake with this election and uh, things are staggered in the American system. Everything is designed constantly constitutionally to be staggered the uh you know with with how we you know the terms of office for say senators and you know the off-year elections midterms judgeships all these things stagger um over time and you know the longer one party remains in power the more they can do to influence the future course of this country through appointing judges through you know their their party strength at the national level influencing state and gubernatorial elections so it's very important that we have a presidential win a nationwide win uh, to trickle down and to enable us to to take back the reins of power so uh, as far as our club is concerned we were one of the first organizations to endorse uh president donald j trump's re-election campaign we we're very proud to do so we got a letter from him signed uh thanking us for the support so we see him as the ticket to the future uh for this party and we see him as the only uh path uh to reclaiming the white house come 2024 and i think a lot of the polls are backing us up they're backing us up in terms of the primary polls they're backing us up in terms of the general election polls uh so we have a lot of reasons to be hopeful um and i think things are only going to get worse uh, for this country sadly over the next uh, however many months two years whatever mm -hmm. uh until the 2024 so i think that bodes well for our electoral chances but we can't be or we can't be asleep at the wheel like we were in the midterms and i think the midterms was a wake-up call and i think it was in a way the silver lining that we needed 
to show us that, you know, we, we can't rest on our laurels even if we think everything's working in our favor uh, because there's massive institutional and demographic factors working against us. So we have to be, you know, moving on all gears if we really want to capture any serious political wins in the next few cycles. Yeah, complacency is something that we don't do very well on Steak for Breakfast. We know for a fact it's something that doesn't happen ever at the New York Young Republicans Club. Gavin, you know, one of the things we're talking about on the show big time this week, I mean, obviously we did a little recap of the of the State of the Union with Congressman Mills and then our cold open, but the rest of the show is kind of focused in on some of the committee work that's getting kicked off. We're highlighting the... Uh, the, the oversight committee on the Twitter files, which, you know, Representative Comer's chairing right now. We saw some great hits from people like Anna Paulina Luna and uh, Lauren Boebert. But, the, but then, you know, Jim Jordan's also chairing the weaponization of the federal government. And, and we saw that one get kicked off later in the latter parts of this week as well. Outside looking in, obviously, you're tracking this probably just as intensely as we are. What are some of the things you're seeing and, and what do you hope in the end? Is, is it just that we're going to get to a point to where, okay, all these constitutional rights and probably laws were violated, but it's it's really hard in retrospect to kind of just put these people in jail. So we, we just need to make it to where this stuff doesn't happen again and we kind of got to level the playing field. Or do you think that this can go somewhere uh, where we could actually see some, some criminality come out of it? Well, look, it depends. I mean, as a baseline, I think exposing the corruption and the criminality is always a good move in the right direction. I think even with a divided government like we have now, uh, this new weaponization committee can certainly uh, shed some sunlight onto a lot of these issues and, and show just how bad and rotten uh, our institutions in this country uh, have fallen. Uh, so I think the, the the exposing of it is, is a good baseline. But like you said, uh, we're going to want more than that. We want actual accountability, whether it's post facto or going forward. I mean, there needs to be people that are held accountable if we're ever going to really stop this institutional rot from continuing uh, you know, to, to spread through our republic. Uh, so we are going to need some people to be held accountable to. We're going to have to, you know, not just come in front of committees, but go in front of judges and 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 face serious prosecution. Uh, I don't know to the ex the extent to which that can actually be achieved uh, with this divided government. So hopefully this sets the stage uh, for more uh, more work that could be done uh, going forward. Uh, but what I do not want to see is a repeat of uh, Trey Gowdy uh, in terms of these committees where they talk a big game and they they pound their chest and they they have all these great clips for YouTube and wherever, but nothing ever gets done. Uh, you know, exposing them is one thing, but we need to move beyond that and it needs to get into actionable uh, actions, uh, actionable things that can be taken uh, to either reform the system to prevent this from happening or to uh, hold those accountable to send a message. And uh, if it doesn't end with either of those two uh, you know, provisions, then we are uh, failing along the way and we need more. But I think it's a great first step to have this weaponization committee. Uh, and I think it just goes to show how bad things have gone that we even need it yeah. um, in this country. But, you know, that's where we're at and we're never going to fix it by uh, clinging to the past. We have to realize how bad things are today and, and work to fix it. And I think uh, we have many in this Congress, uh, such as Jim Jordan, who are going to be uh, effective leaders in that pursuit. Yeah, I think he's been chomping at the bit to get his hands on this for a long time. You know, he everybody calls him like one of the big whistleblowers, one of the big pontificators when it comes to this stuff. And Jim Jordan kicked off that committee hearing yesterday with saying dozens of FBI lawyers have provided them with uh, dozens and dozens of receipts. So once that, 
you know, starts to become transparent for the American public, we definitely feel like we are going to get to the bottom of, of exactly what was going on. And at the same time, it's like you said, these, these people, they, they move along so freely and, and often without consequence. It was during the uh, House Oversight Committee on, on the Twitter files yesterday when, when uh, Vijaya God was given her disposition that they made her admit that she still works for a extremely powerful cyber like censoring company. And she, that's that's a job that she still has. So she bounced from Twitter to somewhere else, and she's doing the exact same thing in probably just a different context for some other, you know, internet provider. And it's just crazy how these people just kind of brush it off as like, yeah, on to the next thing. And uh, we really hope that some of these warriors we have up there in Congress are going to be absolutely fighting to, uh, you know, make sure that this stuff is, is not happening, especially heading into a brand new presidential cycle. Gavin, this was awesome catching up with you today. Obviously, we love having you on the show whenever you're free, and here you are. We're going to live link the club in the show description today, but anybody that's not following you on social media, where can they find you? Well, thank you guys for having me. It's always a great discussion, and uh, you guys can follow me at Gavin Wax. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the whole thing. You can follow the club, the New York and Republican Club. We're the oldest youth Republican organization in the country and the largest uh, at NYYRC. That's, again, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the rest. And I'm um, going to have a book be coming out this year called The Emerging Populist Majority. Uh, that will be hitting bookshelves and Amazon sometime middle of the year and uh, some exciting stuff in the works. So thank you guys again for having me. Absolutely. I tell it to everybody who comes on the show and says they're dropping a book. I will 100% buy a copy, but we want to sign one for the studio as well. So Absolutely. thanks for taking time out of your uh, busy week. Have a great weekend, and we'll catch up with you again soon. This is the president of the New York Young Republicans Club, a real warrior out there for MAGA Nation. Mr. Gavin Wax, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. God bless. Gentlemen, yields back. I'll recognize myself now for questioning. The Biden family investigation begins with the story of how big tech, the media, former intelligence agents... And the Bidens themselves suppressed the story of Hunter Biden's laptop weeks before the 2020 election. Today, we're hearing from Twitter executives who buried the New York Post laptop story, claiming it violated the platform's hacked materials policy. In reality, the Twitter executives were hostile towards conservatives and biased towards anyone who opposed their points of view. For example, Mr. Roth, did you write this tweet? I regret the language that I used in some of my former tweets, but yes, I did post that. And I'll read the tweet so it's in the record. Yes, that person in the pink hat is clearly a bigger threat to your brand of feminism than actual Nazis in the White House. Mr. Roth, do you think all conservatives are Nazis? Certainly not, sir. What about the hundreds of people who worked in the Trump administration? Certainly not. Did Ms. Gaddy or any other lawyer at Twitter ever tell you to take down that tweet? No, Twitter did not have a practice of restricting employees sharing their personal viewpoints on the service. Okay. Turning back. Oh, just, just people's personal viewpoints on the service. He also used disappearing message apps with uh, senior administration and federal law enforcement officials. Weird. So weird. That was uh, coming off the heels of catching up with our great friend, president of the New York Young Republican Club, Gavin Wax. That was Republican House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer kicking off the Oversight Committee hearing into the uh, Twitter files. I've never seen <clears throat> a group of more uncomfortable people in my entire life than those Twitter assholes. It's yeah. amazing just watching them just like... <clears throat> it was quite a lineup, and, and, and the big four were there. Uh, you had the former Russiagate lawyer. Dang. Right next to him was y'all Roth. Uh, vagina God to his south, and, oh. and then the complete 
virtue single equity hire who thought that Twitter didn't censor conservatives enough uh, when, when, when she was questioned in, in some of her. Yeah, I'm not joking. <laughs> I, I wish I was, but I'm not. Censor me harder, Daddy. Yeah. Believe me, she was. And it, it, it Mommy. <laughs> there was a lot of frustration uh, from the House Republicans to, to kick this committee off, and obviously some of them feel like the censorship that they endured may have affected their races, even though for the most part they were all you know able to win them. But I think um, a big underlying tone there was... Well, there were people that didn't win. A lot of people felt that it directly negatively affected the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Yeah, I can believe it. As do we here on the show. Uh, It was definitely a component. I mean, there's a lot of components. You got the Time Magazine article. You got the free-for-all mail-in ballots across the entire country. And then you have the big tech censorship. Everything from, like, when you type in search engines, Republicans were getting out-democrated 7 to 1 and all the way down to just getting their account suspended everything from the New York post and, and Miranda divine's uh, bombshell on the Hunter Biden laptop all the way down to, you know, just making it so they don't even see anymore. Uh, hypothetically, they didn't even have to ban you. Yeah. Um, Marjorie Taylor green, who was kicked off of all of her committees, uh, got the mood set in, in, in an emotional charge at Yoel Roth. Let's hear her. So glad you've lost your jobs. Thank <laughs> God. Elon, Elon Musk bought Twitter. And you know what? Yeah. Let's talk about something a little bit further. It's amazing to me, Mr. Roth, as the head and trust of safety at Twitter, your ability, or should I say inability, to remove child porn. Now, here's something that disgusts me about you. In your doctoral dissertation entitled Gay Data, you argued that minors should have access to Grindr, an adult male gay hookup app. Minors? Really? You know, Elon Musk took over Twitter, and he banned 44,000 accounts that were promoting child porn. You permanently banned my Twitter account, but you allowed child child porn all over Twitter. Mm. Twitter had become a platform, you said, connecting queer young adults. You also wrote on Twitter in 2010, can high school students ever meaningfully consent to sex with their teachers? Loathsome. In 2021, while you were the director of trust and safety on Twitter, an underage boy and his mother announced a lawsuit against Twitter because, because Twitter was benefiting from and refused to remove a lewd video featuring this boy and another minor. So that's kind of was setting the tone. What you- there, there's no, there's no coming back from this for for those people that did this stuff at Twitter. Like, how do you argue against that? Well, you know, there's different varying levels of child porn, and this child porn wasn't as porny as all the other porn that we usually. What? Like, how how are you going to argue that that's not the case? It definitely was the case, and uh, I don't know if you're going to believe this or not, Noah, but. Do you know everybody didn't feel exactly the same way as the House Republicans did? Mm. Now you know this. Uh, this is a bipartisan committee. Obviously, the ranking chair is going to be a Republican because they hold control of the power in the House, and there's probably going to be a few more Republicans on the panel than Democrats. But you'll never guess who else made the House Oversight Committee this this cycle. Who? Your sister, AOC. Mm. You think she was feeling it? Even even after some of these people kind of laid out there that. Okay, first of all, these guys were like in her office exchanging emails with FBI agents calling 
Donald Trump's administration officials and and him Nazis and him Hitler. Uh, but they, the child pornography all over Twitter, even still. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just a big waste of time. Wait, she said it was a waste of time? Why don't you listen? I'm going to play it right now. Can we agree that threatening a witness comes close to broaching general decorum? It does broach general decorum of, of the committee. She mean breach? Mm-hmm. With all due respect, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez, we don't agree that there was any witness threatening. In, in threatening, when we discuss arrest, when we discuss a potential arrest of a witness and, and alluding to a witness uh, uh, or suggestion of a witness committing a crime uh, without evidence and without... You're letting her off easy. I just can't. I can't without I can't. documents being supported to the record. Can, can you be more specific? When... When we talk about arresting a witness, or when we talk about a witness insinuating that a witness is lying without documentation, mm-hmm. I fear that this constitutes threatening a witness, and that comes and that will broach uh, the rules of decorum oh, of this committee. Oh, 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 oh. Mm-hmm. She's retarded. And I'd like to ask that we request witnesses be treated with respect. Oh, Thank you. With, oh, really? Uh, that and uh, remind everyone of the member decorum and witness decorum to treat everyone with with respect. I. Thank you, Ms. Casio-Cortez. And he yields back. I uh, yield back. <laughs> she had no idea what she was fucking talking about. See, here's the thing, too. When an overwhelming majority of these House members have extensive backgrounds in the law or are even lawyers, people like Gates and stuff like that, you can't go around and start talking about witness decorum and broaching this, that, and the other thing as part of a witness intimidation scheme that the house Republicans were, and we're, we're going to get to to representative Higgins towards the end of the segment, but she just looked completely stupid er than usual. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to get dumber, but there she is. No, you did allude to, uh, the fecklessness that the people who were pretty much getting grilled by house Republicans displayed throughout the course of their dispositions, uh, Vagina God, she was definitely one of them. And if you want to hear the voice crackliness, probably most of the day, we're going to hear her right here. At no point did Twitter otherwise prevent tweeting, reporting, discussing, or describing the contents of Mr. Biden's laptop. People could and did talk about the contents of the laptop on Twitter or anywhere else, including other much larger platforms, but they were prevented from sharing the primary documents on Twitter. Still, over the course of that day, it became clear that Twitter had not fully appreciated the impact of that policy on free press and others. Mm. As Mr. Dorsey testified before Congress on multiple occasions, Twitter changed its policy within 24 hours and admitted its initial action was wrong. This policy revision immediately allowed people to tweet the original articles with the embedded source materials. Relying on its long-standing practice not to retroactively apply new policies Twitter informed the New York Post that it could immediately begin tweeting when it deleted the original tweets, which would have freed them to retweet the same content again. The New York Post chose not to delete its original tweets, so Twitter made an exception after two weeks to retroactively apply the new policy to the Post's tweets. Of course. In hindsight, Mm. Twitter should have reinstated the Post account immediately. Of course. In retrospect, now that we're busted... Per my last email. Per my last email. I.e., I, fuck yourself. I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, and I'll tease it 
So we're going to be having Representative Bobert on the show, and, and we're going to be hearing from her in just a minute. I think she's going to come on next week. Uh, her team actually called the Stakes Hotline yesterday, mm. and they were they were all there conversating. And, Steak and, phone? Mm, the Steak line? <laughs> <laughs> it's not red. Technically, it is because we like ours medium rare. Um Elon Musk has waived attorney private attorney client privileges for for all of his employees at Twitter. For everybody? Everybody. Huh. Yeah. That's kind of wild. It is. And uh it's going to be interesting as this committee rolls on. You know, I did talk to a uh former top Trump administration official yesterday uh while I was kind of going through everything putting the show together. And uh, I I sent a tweet that said, for the show tomorrow, in regards to the kicking off of the House Oversight Committee looking into Twitter, please tell me in one sentence if they're getting the job done. The reply was, pussies. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you could probably know who that came from. (laughs) I know exactly who that is. Oh, we don't we don't divulge our sources here on Steak for Breakfast, but that isn't a, a comment from a former top Trump official. <laughs> that's pretty, it's real. That's pretty good. Uh, I tease Congressman Bobert is going to be on the show, I believe, next week, and uh, she's going to be spending some time with us talking about the kicking off of this oversight committee. In addition to all the things that she's looking forward to be working on uh, moving forward here in the 118th Congress. But she gave a uh, fiery but mostly peaceful hammering to the Twitter board who was assembled yesterday because, you know, here's the thing. Wait, so all these Twitter people lost their jobs? Like, what are they doing? What are they doing now? They're unemployed or they work for the Washington Post now or what's going on? Think tanks, legal analysts. I mean, golden parachute. Yeah, Jim Baker was the FBI lawyer from the Mueller investigation. Mm-hmm. And he jumped right from that into Twitter to censor everything bad that people were saying about the Mueller investigation. And then parlayed that into the 2020 presidential election. How do people see this stuff and not think this is bad? There is no two tier justice. I system. mean, if you have your mask over your eyes, I guess in but. this country, it is historic mm-hmm. and transparent. Yes. And we, uh, following the rules. You miss her? No. I got nothing for her this week. Good. So, yeah, they they, they, they they hid her after the State of the Union because they didn't want to know what prescription medicine means. Oh, can you imagine? Ducey? Like, uh, just to clarify, uh, during the president's speech, he said what appeared to be, uh, could you just clarify what, uh, what the president meant by that? No, <laughs> well, you're right. Well, as I've said, time and time again, the president takes great care in writing his speeches. And in that speech, there were words with letters. And sometimes the president messes up his letters and his words. Jen Psaki said he was going to write 10 pages of accomplishments. <laughs> in what? Is, that, is that before or after a six-hour story? Yeah. Like, well, I've, I've been on the bus with old men that have talked the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like, you can talk for six hours. It's not going to make any fucking sense. Yeah. I, I mean, and because he's the president, you're kind of obligated to listen. I'm sure. I'm oldish, and I used to go with my grandparents a lot when I was kids. Both sets. Uh, my dad's parents were like the super fit, like can't get old. You know, never let it go. Mm-hmm. Active from like get up at five in the morning, 
all the way up until bedtime going like 100%. There was no like TV time, relaxation time. They were like the, the fit Italians. If I stop, we'll die. And then my mom's side was like the seven course meal, five different kinds of pasta. Like it takes three days to cook and everybody's just going to sit around and, and wait walk. for it to cook. Yeah. Um, but my grandpa used to take me to the YMCA all the time. Not the YMCA that you go to now, like the mm. YMCA. Public pool, open showers, old men everywhere. And every Do, doing t- the Jack Sparrow on the or yeah. the Captain Morgan on the yeah. drying their balls. Lots well now cap- they can do that on the women's side. That's true. That's the only difference. And that's disgusting. But every time I see Joe Biden go off the rails, I like get taken back to those locker rooms and hearing all the old men tell stories mm-hmm. to each other and stuff. And it's literally that minus the nudity. Um, well, you never know what happens in the Oval Office. I mean, if you poop your pants, you got to take them off. That's true. I mean, there's no secret service around. We've also confirmed on the show that he's not a huge fan of diapers. So, Well, you know, the pleats in the pants. Who is? That, that only works out for people like Chris Christie. Mm. Lauren Boebert was bringing the heat, and uh, she was bringing it to Jim Baker, the former Russiagate lawyer and advisor to Robert Mueller, was under the microscope, and she was tearing him apart. Let's hear it. Miss Bobert for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Uh, Matt Taibbi, a respected reporter who published much of the Twitter files, said, quote, Twitter's contact with FBI was constant and pervasive as if it were a subsidiary. Now, I want to b- better understand why he would suggest that. Mr. Roth, while at Twitter, how many meetings did you have with the FBI? I couldn't say for sure, but I more would say... More than 10? That's a reasonable estimate. I couldn't say for sure. More than 50? That seems a bit high. Many <laughs> meetings with the FBI. Well, They're giving them the we know treatment. Uh, uh, how many FBI agents worked at Twitter while you were there? Uh, I don't believe any active FBI Former agents. Former FBI active, agents. How many active. worked there while you were there? I'm aware of perhaps two. Well, we know of at least nine um, because they started the BU group chat. BU for Bureau. Ooh. Now, Mr. Roth, did the FBI ever ask you to share information like users' communication data I'm, I'm without going two, through but the proper other one said, legal if channels? I told them they have to kill me. No, they did not, and I would have refused if they had. Mm. Um, that's correct. I see that you denied Agent Chan's request for access to Twitter's data feed. What's sick isn't that you would deny it; uh, it's that the FBI would even ask you for the private data of American citizens without going through legal channels of the law. Now, I want to remind you, Mr. Roth, that you are under oath. Did the FBI ever ask you to do anything that was illegal or questionably legal? I'm not a lawyer, but certainly not to the best of my recollection or Mm. knowledge. Now, from the hearing that I've been a part of today, um, it's almost impossible to tell where the FBI ends and where Twitter begins. We have Mr. Baker here, a former FBI agent, and there seems to be a revolving door between the FBI and Twitter itself. Um, Even Mr. Baker said that there was no collusion with the federal government and Twitter, but Mr. Baker, that's you. You are the collusion between the federal government and the FBI. And now with it, this is such a problem because... We're seeing censorship all over. Mr. Roth, Miss Gap. Yeah. Ouch. Listen. Getting smoked. For anyone who doesn't think that over the course of that time, after Donald Trump came down the escalator, 
and, and honestly, I, it, it sounds stupid, but when the great meme war started, let me just kind of unpack this for you a little bit. Like 10 years ago on Facebook, if someone was being stupid, you could literally type kill yourself in the comment section and it didn't mean anything bad. Mm -hmm. It just meant like, seriously, shut the fuck up when you didn't want to write expletives. Yeah. Um, these people hijacked and weaponized that after the Im implementation of all these memes came out. And they had the biggest fucking party in the history of big tech. Like, the more of this that gets unpacked, and I don't know if this is going down the road of legal. I don't know if this is entering into the area where people are actually going to go to jail. Like, we've covered politics for so long, and there's been people who have come way before us and ones that will come after Steak for Breakfast who will continue to When do you ever really see people do the perp walks? Mm -hmm. When do you ever really see the big-time people go to jail? You know, over the course of my lifetime, like, who can you think of, like, big-time people that have gone to jail? People in the mafia, like, Ponzi schemer, Bernie Madoff, people like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, El Chapo, but in the government and stuff like that, nothing, ever, mm -hmm. rarely. You know, they put they put Donald Trump's, one of his attorneys in jail on Rikers Island. The guy's, like, in his 70s for, like, trying to give himself a tax break on a fucking car. And, and meanwhile, these people literally took the First Amendment and, like, banged each other in the ass with it with no lube for years mm -hmm. and, and collaborated with every single facet of our federal law enforcement, the DNI, DHS, CDC, FBI, probably the CIA, and a whole bunch of other agencies I can't remember off the top of my head right now, to do nothing except erase conservatives from everywhere. And I do understand, like, throughout the course of this hearing, it did get extremely emotional because a lot of these people were, like, caught up in it. But the fact of the matter is, is that, I don't know, it's my hope to see that this eventually does go somewhere. I think the best presentation of the day overall, it was a combination of, like, not as emotional as some of the people. And then bringing the facts and hard data because she had spiderweb charts. She had printed out tweets. She had graphs. Oh, wow. Was a Florida representative... And uh, new firebrand, Anna Paulina Luna. Let's hear her as she's going to go and use up her time to the best of her ability. Communications on Jira, a private cloud server with SISA, NASS, NASED, and Alex Stamos, who now works at Stanford and is a former security, of, um, security officer at Facebook to remove a posting. Do you now remember communicating on a private cloud server to remove a posting? Yes or no? I wouldn't agree with the characterization. I don't care if you agree. This, Do you, this, is, this mm. is your stuff. Yes or no, did you communicate with a private entity, the government agency, on a private cloud server, yes or no? The question was if I could. Yes or no? Yeah, I'm on time. Yes or no? Ma'am, I don't believe I can give you a yes or no. Well, I'm going to tell question. you right now that you did, and we have proof of it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is joint action between the federal government and a private company to censor and violate the First Amendment. This is also known, and I'm so glad that there's many attorneys on this panel, joint state actors. It's highly illegal. You are all engaged in this action, and I want you to know that you will be all held accountable. Ms. Gaddy, are you still on CISA's Cybersecurity Advisory Council? Yep. Yes or no? Yes, I am. Mm. Okay. 
For those who have said that this is a pointless hearing, and I just want to let you guys all know, we found that Twitter was indeed communicating with the federal government to censor Americans. I'd like to remind you that this was all in place before January 6th. So to say that these mechanisms weren't in place and to make it about January 6th, I want to let you know that you guys were actually in control of all of the content, and clearly we have proof of that. Now, if you don't think that this is important to your constituents and the American people from those saying that this was a pointless hearing, I suggest you find other jobs. Chairman, I yield my time. Mm. Mm. She came in hot. Yeah. She ain't ugly either. Fact of the matter is, is that, like I said, before we let in with the clip, I, I kind of answered both of Noah's questions there. Mm. They were using these private servers and like disappearing messaging apps to communicate between the private sector, which is t- Twitter, and the federal government law enforcement agencies. In addition, did it surprise you to hear that Vagina God still has a job on a pretty powerful internet Sensory board? Censorship board? Not even slightly. Not at all? No. Because she's vagina god? Yep. <laughs> no, uh, it's just all the stuff that was happening, it, it just bridges the gap between what the government's allowed to do and what private sectors aren't allowed to do. Yeah. And so, well, I'm not allowed to do this, but you are. So what if we just work together and you do this and then I'll do that? And together we are Captain Planet. Mm, I like it. As we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with uh, one of our favorite shit posters, the CEO of X Strategies, Alex Brusowitz, who's going to uh, definitely be helping out a lot in the Trump 2024 campaign. And uh, kind of ties into this a little bit well, because I don't know if you've realized it or not, Noah, he's been combating a lot of Ron DeSantis's online censorship team. <laughs> if you tag... The governor from Florida, they will come from you. I did a shit post yesterday. They will come for you? The rapid response director for the DNC tried to ratio my tweet, but then I went back and ratioed his. Yeah. What happened? Just a lot of shit posted on the internet right now. People, <laughs> people are digging up really old videos of, of House member DeSantis and how he didn't like walls, didn't like taxes and tariffs. And uh, it's it's just a, it's a shame to see it going in the, in that direction. What isn't a shame is the direction that at least we'd like to see these four former members of the Twitter High Council go, and that's to jail. Representative Higgins, who we're going to wrap the segment with in right now, teased a little bit of where this could possibly go. We could only be so hopeful. So the FBI used its relationship with Twitter to suppress criminal evidence being revealed about Joe Biden one month before the 2020 elections. You, ladies and gentlemen, interfered with the United States of America 2020 presidential election, knowingly and willingly. That's the bad news. It's going to get worse because this is the investigation part. Later comes the arrest part. (laughs) Attorneys are familiar with that. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to spend five hours with these ladies and gentlemen doing depositions surely yet to come. But for right now, I'll yield the balance of my time to my colleague, Mr. Jordan. I think you're coming. Dang. Yeah. I don't know if it'll ever get there. I mean, obviously, there were a lot of laws violated, constitutional rights 100% mm-hmm. violated. Uh I don't know if they're ever going to be able to, like, rope that into legitimate election interference. But who knows? People that, like, went into the Capitol on January 6th with a selfie stick are getting, like, 70 months in prison. 
So, you know, it, it it's a lot of noise right now. People are getting their emo- it's been a long time since the 2020 presidential election, and then that kind of snowballed into January 6th. And these people that made it through the Congress, people that were able to win re-elections, staying closely aligned to the House Freedom Caucus, to the Nationalist Populist Movement, to President Trump, have had to go through a lot. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert can't fart without every single liberal outlet on Twitter. like Trying to smell it? And taking whatever they say or do out of context and posting it everywhere. Uh, It's got to be tiresome. And the fact of the matter is you're going to see some of that emotion probably come out as these committee hearings go on. However, I do hope that they settle down and and really get to work here. For as much as like we've come to appreciate the fact that a lot of these committees are absolute dunk fests, like we've seen it. How excited did we used to be and how many times did – House representatives and senators over the course of the pandemic just dunk on Fauci. How many times have we seen him do it to Mayorkas? And you think they're finished. But the fact of the matter is, it's the end of the workday. They go back to violating the Constitution, and these representatives go back to doing whatever it is they're doing. And then everybody talks on the news about how all these representatives want to do is not their job. They, oh, they just want to investigate the border. Oh, they just want to investigate Twitter. Oh, they want to bother fucking Hunter Biden. Yes. But nothing ever gets solved. So we will be continuing to track this uh, and, and all the other committees. There was the uh, start of the weaponization of the federal government committee yesterday. There was also a little drama in the boys' locker room of the U.S. Senate. I know we teased it the other day. They have a locker room? I'm figuratively speaking here trying to make a joke. <laughs> but uh, we'll touch on the uh, official spokesman for Warriors Original as soon as we're done catching up with one of our great friends. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the CEO of X Strategies. He's also all in for Trump 2024, Mr. Alex Brusowitz. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Great to be back with you guys. Well, we always have stuff to talk to you about whenever we bring you on, and, and you and I have been talking offline lately about the increasing temperature of Trump DeSantis, even before Ron DeSantis has announced we want to get into it a little bit with you because you've been a staunch advocate of the 45th president online and uh, on the campaign trail, as as we. But the fact of the matter is, is that it seems like Ron DeSantis has set up a pretty comfortable, well, apparatus around himself to uh, kind of pad him from any kind of pretty much anything. What are you seeing right now? As, as their strategy, and what do you think moving forward? This is going to eventually boil over to. Well, I think that uh, DeSantis is, one, disloyal. Two, I also think he's a political coward. Uh, and it's pretty pathetic that he's hiding behind henchmen on Twitter. You have absolute hooligans, guys like John Cardillo, who's a 57-year-old uh, angry guy who seems to have a drinking problem. Uh, and a guy about midget meathead down in Miami named David Reboy. And these guys do all of the... Uh, angry tweet Twitter work that attacks Trump and attacks Trump supporters all day, every day. Uh, and, you know, so DeSantis thinks he can take the high road publicly, but we don't, uh, he thinks that we're too stupid to recognize what he's doing, um, you know, privately. These guys are posting the same exact talking points at the same exact time. It's very evident that they're getting the talking points to attack Trump from somebody 
it's totally unorganic, but so is the rise of DeSantis. DeSantis would be absolutely nothing uh, if he didn't have the social media apparatus uh, pushing him up. No, you uh, make a lot of sense there. And it's definitely looking like that's the way things are right now, especially on social media. We did see Ron DeSantis actually field a question about some things uh, regarding, you know, the smoke that President Trump is, is President Trump is sending his way yesterday. And it seemed like in just answering the questions, DeSantis was a little shaky from the get go. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be ready for prime time. The guy's totally weak. He got owned on the debate stage by a crackhead named Andrew Gillum. <laughs> and, um, you know, on top of that, he also got owned by Charlie Chris, the worst candidate that's ever run for public office, probably ever. He's the only, so Chris is the only guy in Florida history to lose at the Democrat statewide, Republican statewide, and an independent. The guy's a career loser. And, but at the same time, he crushed DeSantis in the debate stage. DeSantis isn't quick on his feet. The guy's totally scripted. And when his establishment handlers can't get him to get talking points fast enough, the guy's got nothing to say. He totally flailed, and he would get eaten alive in a national debate and anything that's not a controlled press conference. Now, Ron DeSantis has incurred a couple losses recently down in the state of Florida. One of the big ones we thought, that, which has kind of slipped conveniently under the radar uh, because of the way the legacy media operates, is the whole thing with Disney. Uh, we all know that he attempted to take on Disney and the, the huge operation that they've been going on down there in Florida for a very long time and, and did quite a considerably big victory lap. But we did come to learn this week that it doesn't seem like it's as huge as victory as Ron DeSantis is may have made it sound. What can you tell our listenership about that? Yeah, well, when Ron started his fight against Disney, obviously, you know, I was a supporter. I, I think Disney's disgusting. I hate what they're doing to our kids. Agreed. I, they're, they're woke garbage. It's absolute trash. And so when people say that we should do something about that, I totally agree. And so everybody thought Ron was going to take care of the problem. Ron says I'm going to end woke. He says Florida is where woke goes to die. And then people forget about it. The press conference goes viral. But last week, or earlier this week, the bill was introduced that says, we're taking on Disney, and you start reading the bill. And the bill keeps the uh, tax-exempt status for Disney. It simply just changes the name of the special district that it's in. It changes from Reedy Creek District to, you know, something, uh, something else. So they just change the name of the district but they keep the tax of them status. Disney's still woke. Floridians are still losing. And he did absolutely nothing. And I give credit where credit is due. Senator Rick Scott called him out for that today. Yep, he certainly did. And uh, Rick Scott's had a tough week, as uh, we're going to talk about in just a bit here on the show. But, you know, that was a uh, little bit of a pick-me-up here as we're getting ready to head into the weekend. Now, Alex, one of the things, and, and we want to get serious, because I didn't just call you on the show, obviously. You know, we, we talk about serious stuff to do with the Trump campaign. We didn't call you on to just dunk on Ron DeSantis. You did mention the debate stage. And when we do eventually get there, if Ron DeSantis runs, and now all indicators are is that he probably will uh, make it official here soon as we get through the spring, Ron DeSantis is not going to be able to run away from his record, no matter how big of a safety net he sets up for himself on social media. When you want to talk about things like when he was a a House candidate, everything from voting against the wall, uh, he was a staunch advocate uh, against 
taxes and tariffs on China as, as kind of a bargaining chip. One of the things, it was probably one of Donald Trump's biggest successes in dealing with China before the pandemic was hammering them with taxes and tariffs. And Ron DeSantis went on the record. Uh, I, I've seen clips of it on social media recently saying that he thought it was a, not a good idea and it was going to blow up in his face. He's also, you know, connected to the military industrial complex. And then when you talk about his stuff, you know, at, as governor, he's turned Florida into a state where he was able to have such a huge victory. But the next time a popular Democrat candidate comes around, they can use the same system that he set up against them. And what I mean there is that he's made Florida into an all-mail-in ballot state. He's added Florida to the Eric Digital voter roll system and, and things like that. And he does press conferences with Dominion's attorney. Remember that? And he certainly did this week. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where... You want to talk about apples and oranges here. Ron DeSantis may have gotten some lessons on how to move like Donald Trump and talk like Donald Trump, but when you put the tails of the tape up on the table right there, there's absolutely no comparison. He reminds me more of a John McCain, a Mitt Romney, not a loathsome character like them, but just based off of his historical voting record and, and where he's gone with. Uh, then, yeah. he, then he does like a Donald Trump or anybody who you consider a, a you know um, a MAGA Republican like a Matt Gates or something yeah. like that. He's definitely not in that category. Well, well, I think I, I suggest that you don't make any judgments on his character yet because there's a lot you don't know about Ron, and unfortunately for him, a lot's going to come out. Uh, but talking about his record, we can talk about his congressional record, which is terrible from being against tariffs on China. But he wanted to raise taxes on our senior citizens. And he wanted to gut Medicaid and Medicare and slash Social Security. So he wants to hurt Americans, but he wants to be take it easy on China, uh, which I thought was surprising. He wanted to be involved in all of these different uh, wars. He wanted to get involved in Yemen and Syria. And, you know, he was sending notes to Ukraine with a guy named Adam Kinzinger all the way back in 2017. So if we want to look at that record, we're going to have a field day just, you know, going through all of the different things that we can go through. But also we're acting like his governor's record is something to, to applaud. At the end of the day, the guy is all talk. He's no action. He's all soundbite and no substance. He's at these press conferences with the, you know, the boards in front that say whatever the topic is, and it goes viral on Twitter. But like the Disney bill, turns out to be nothing. Another example of this is when he set up this election integrity police force. I get invited to this event in West Palm Beach. A woman who's got terrible plastic surgery invites me. She's like, <laughs> come to this event and we'll do a video. And so I record Ron DeSantis starting this election integrity task force. I think, how, what a brilliant idea this was. It was on November 3rd, 2022, two years after the rigged election. So I go to this event, and they announce this, uh, this task force and this new police force. I think, wow, this is a brilliant idea. A year and a half later, guess what? Every single case that was brought forward by this police task force was dismissed in court. Mm. Nothing happened. It was all theater. And I'm like, wow, I was used. I hate being used. Believe it or not, I've been used by a few things that, you know, for a few things in the past. It's not a good feeling. But I was used by this team and um, to make it seem like he was taking election integrity serious. And clearly he's not, uh, especially now that he's doing these sit-down round tables with Libby Locke, Dominion's attorney. I think he's a total disgrace. I think he's a total fraud. And I look forward to, to him running on his fake record because the American people 
will be able to pierce through it and understand that every single thing is a lie. No, and that's that's the case right there. I think the one thing that we're missing from this conversation right here is the insertion of the person who's going to be the Republican nominee, and that's Donald Trump. If you want to talk about American greatness, and we certainly like to do that here on Steak for Breakfast, our listenership needs to understand one thing. The biggest mistake that everyone out there right now who is even thinking about hitching their wagon to somebody else is underestimating Donald Trump. Before he comes back to all the social media platforms, before he starts doing the rallies again, which are coming very soon. Liz Harrington was on the show just the other day, and she said his next event will be a rally. And uh, before they get onto the debate stage, Alex, we know how much you love the president. You love his policies. You love what he did for this country. What can you say about Donald Trump once he hits the campaign trail full go and he's out there on social All these people are taking pot shots at him on social media right now. In, in a couple months when he has the ability to just jump on Twitter, jump on Facebook, jump on anywhere and clap back, what's it going to look like? Well, I'll just say that the American people are ready for the rallies to get back going, you know, get back up again. Uh, they're ready for him to get back in the full swing. Uh, we're still, you know, a year and a half out from anything uh, meaningful. But the president, I know, uh, loves doing the rallies. Uh, the people miss him. Every rally he does, he has tens of thousands of people that go. There's not going to be a single candidate that can compete with that. Ron will do his little press conferences, and then he'll have his stooges stand behind him, and he'll have his, you know, uh, maybe his fat influencers like Cardillo that sit up in the front row and they take pictures of the guy. Like, oh, my God, he's, he's such a savage. Governor just savage. Really, he's a governor to fraud, but that's, uh, that's besides the point. But President Trump's campaigns like nobody else. He totally changed the game, and uh, we're ready to get, get, get back going. I'm excited to get back out there um, and, and see the people as well. Um, our country needs saving, and there's only one guy that can do it. President Trump, he's the only candidate that uh, delivered on his promises. Uh, he's the only candidate that's not all talk, no action. He backs up everything he says he's going to do. He made America energy independent. He, you know, cut taxes. He cut regulations. Uh, he brought peace and stability to the world and he's going to do it again. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you guys give this platform to so many Trump allies. Uh, there's a lot of media companies that are either on the take by the establishment or just people that just totally don't get it. And you guys uh, get it 100%. Oh, we certainly do. You know, you're out there doing the Lord's work, Alex, and over here in the studio, I know I could speak for Noah. We're not tired of winning yet. And that's just oh. the fact of the matter. Anyone that's not following you on social media, sir, where can we track you? And uh, we'll direct our listenership live link, everything in the show description today. You, you can follow me at Alex Brucewitz, or you can follow me at John Cardillo <laughs> because he tweets at me nonstop. The guy's this 53-year-old, strange, overweight, drunken fool who uh, has a lot of issues. This guy, believe it or not, I don't think he's ever had a business that he didn't get sued in. Um, and so I wish the guy a lot of, you know, well, he's threatening to sue me now. I hope he takes action against me. Uh, the guy's unhinged, so we'll see what happens. Maybe a possible debate down the road here on Stake for Breakfast. I tell you what, I can't mention him by name because he said uh, recently on Twitter that I was irrelevant because my average post only gets eight retweets. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are very relevant. And you guys are on the way up where he's on the way down. And he knows he's on the way down. And, you know, it's hard for him to grapple with. You know, he's 53 years old. He's divorced. He's got very, he's got a lot of failed businesses. He's a failed TV host. He seems to have anger issues. He's angrily tweeting at me in the late evening hours while I'm just trying to enjoy my life up here. <laughs> I'm in New York City today. It's a great day. And I just have a smile on my face every tweet I said. But this guy's rage tweeting me. 
rage texting me. And uh, I just think he's at the point of his life where he's like, shit, I got nothing left. So I'm going to start insulting great guys like you on Twitter. I think it's wrong. And you guys do a great job, and I'm really thankful for you. Yeah, we can. You know what? We'll buy him around right after Donald Trump does his acceptance speech at the uh, RNC convention over there in Milwaukee in a year and a half. Hey, that's uh, my old stopping ground. We'll, we'll make that happen. I love it, and we love having you on. This is the CEO of X Strategies, all in for Trump 2024. Alex Brucewitz, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, bro. God bless you guys. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. So you recently uh, moved Senator Scott and Senator Lee off of, of the Commerce Committee. And, and here's what Senator Rick Scott of Florida said about his attitude about that. Watch this. I'm going to keep doing my job. Um, so I put out a plan. Um, you know, he completely opposed me putting out a plan. I believe that everybody, everybody up here, this is, this is not a Republican or Democrat issue. We all ought to be putting out our ideas and fight over our ideas up here. So what do you say to Senator Scott, and why did you remove yeah, him well, and Senator Lee? He, he had committee? a temporary assignment on the committee, the way we do things, for two years. Uh, he could have traded in one of his permanent committees for commerce and stayed on it. Uh, he had a temporary assignment. There were others who wanted it, and I gave it to two other senators. Um, no particular reprisal in mind. I had no animus toward Rick Scott at all. Put the word there's He down, says Mitch. it's because he ran against you for Well, leadership. that's just not true. <laughs> so, and he also says that he's, you know, has the most business background of anybody on the committee and that he believes he deserves to be there. But you're saying he had the opportunity to stay if he wanted to? He could have picked that as one of his two main committees. I, there were others who wanted a temporary assignment on commerce in addition to him. I ended up giving it to Senator Capito and Senator Lummis, both of whom I think would argue that they too could be good members of the Commerce Committee. And a rhino. All right, let me, let me go. Well, that was Kentucky Senator, Senate Minority Leader, official spokesman for Werther's original, Mitch the Tortoise McConnell, trying to justify moving former successful business owner and Florida governor, current Senator Rick Scott, and Mike Lee off of the Commerce Committee, which is uh, highly alarming because all he did was replace them with two McConnell loyalists. And. When you look at how Mitch McConnell's operated over the course of the last, what, seven years now with, with the coming and going of President Trump and how he worked against him and how open he was to passing all of Joe Biden's legislations to the point where he got an actual fucking bridge for it, mm. it doesn't make for very good uh, news in the upper chamber, if you know what I'm talking about. No, what do you think? We haven't heard from the tortoise in a while. Last time I think we heard from him, he was complaining about Senate candidates. I've had that Werther's original sitting on the podcast desk for a while now. I can vouch for you. You know, and, and if it was something like Mitch McConnell alluded to, this was a temporary assignment, and if he wanted to make it one of his, he could have put it down on the request sheet. Then it would be one thing. However, in literally 
the next show, they caught up with Senator Rick Scott and Bill Hemmer was a little surprised by his answer. I'm telling you, there's a little bit of drama in the Republican Senate locker room over there on Capitol Hill. A lot of towels snapping. Let's hear it. Relationship with Senator Mitch McConnell. I work with all the Republican senators. I work with some of the Democrat senators. I'm going to work hard to represent my state. And I tell everybody, I'm going to represent the state of Florida. That's what I got elected to do. I, I mean, look, I, you can vote any way you want. I'm going to vote for the citizens of Florida. But are you guys cool with each other? Are you, are, are you talking? Well, he kicked me. He just kicked me off a committee. Yeah. I mean, so that was pretty petty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry, Mitch. Your version of the story does not hold truth. <laughs> and, and for all of our listenership that might not be familiar with the Florida senator, he's always on 10 out of 10. He is not, he did not just eat an eight ball before he jumped on with Bill <laughs> Hemmer there. But uh, you could tell that he was highly aggravated and Bill Hemmer decided to go off script a little bit. Hey, so, so you guys cool or what? And he's like, well, no, 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 we're not fucking cool. He just kicked me off my favorite committee. So I wanted to catch everybody up on the, uh, senatorial drama that's going on right now and and we all know that uh you know senator lee is is just as equally unhappy as rick scott is but we did mention it and we're just going to start to unpack it for y'all a little bit is that the house oversight committee looking into the weaponization of the federal government with a focus and emphasis on law enforcement kicked off yesterday Uh, we did opening statements everybody got their five and they brought in some guests. I don't know if you saw. Still not sold on her. I mean, every time I feel like I'm getting sucked in, I just say, you need to keep her away from our MAGA. It's Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, she was one of the, I don't know, panel witnesses that she that they brought in to kind of read a statement on, on what's going on here. And Well, no, I'm going to let you listen to it, and then you can kind of rate it. Mm. Here's the former Hawaii senator have individuals in our government often working through their arms in the mainstream media and big tech doing exactly what our founders rejected, trying to control what we the people are allowed to see and say Mm -hmm. under the guise of protecting us from so-called misinformation or disinformation. Now, of course, they appoint themselves as the sole authority and voice of truth of information backed by the most lethal force on earth with the power to target anyone they deem a threat. They alone are the ones, self-designated, who get to decide what is true and what is false, what is information and what is misinformation or disinformation. They say they're doing this for us. Uh, She's talking about They're doing this for our own good, (laughs) to protect the people. But in reality, the truth is they think that we're too stupid to think for ourselves, too stupid to discern for ourselves and to draw our own conclusions. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. It's been it's basically just a new government organization that well, you know, this stuff is going to benefit us. So we don't really want you to know about all the stuff that's going to make us look bad. So we're just going to label anything that is on the side of information, like real information that can be used to flesh out whether or not this is truth, whether or not this is bullshit, to show that there's deep issues with our military industrial complex with our large pharmaceutical uh fuck apparatus got him (laughs) would there be any broaching there is aoc alluded to at the top of the show Uh, like a whale (laughs) 
That's breaching. <laughs> well, which, she, she doesn't know either. Which would have been the correct context of the word. Yeah. No, but it's like the the mis dis malinformation bullshit. It's just literally just another smokescreen to protect the powers that be. That's uh, all it is. I, I actually, uh, I was never actually given the title of a uh, uh, powers that be. I was more of a powers of me. You know, a lot of people have alluded to the only reason that we're going to have difficulty going anywhere in any of these committees is that they would, of course, be working with our current Department of Justice. I don't know if you've also heard. So the Hunter Biden team responded to. uh, He has a team now. Well, he's got quite a robust legal team, to Mm. be honest. And we've already talked about it. He's using lawfare. Bannon, I would Roger Stone, less. yeah, everybody's going suing everyone, every, every member of Congress that's like, I've got a copy of the Hunter Biden laptop right here, you know, uh, preserve your records to all of them, getting ready to to try and sue people out of going after him. And uh, Hunter Biden's legal team informed James Comer that he can go fuck himself pretty much because they said they're not cooperating with any of the things that he's requested or asked for in regards to uh, investigating the Biden crime family. So we're just going to have to see. Is it going to get to a point to where all we could do is nail people to the wall for that like vague gray area of violating your constitutional right to free speech? Or are we going to find real violations of like actual federal law? Like Everybody keeps going around saying there's close to 500 violations of the law on hunter biden's laptop like when are we going to start to get to the bottom of those and are people being a little bit exaggerative or you know it's just really hard to tell i know garrett ziegler and his uh marco polo organization have been one of the people that have like gone and done a deep dive on the hunter biden laptop and kind of laid out the levels of felonies that are on there a lot so many levels. There are lots of levels. And and when you talk about... You might say he's broached the felony level. Mm. Breached? I don't know. Whatever. AOC's got me all... This is just a big waste of time! <laughs> and as we're getting ready to wrap here, and in our last audio clip of the week, we'll hear Weaponization Committee Chairman Jim Jordan getting ready to get this party started. November 18th, 2021, an FBI whistleblower discloses to Republicans on the House Judiciary that the FBI created a threat tag for parents voicing their concerns at school board meetings. April 26, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI employees are being run out of the Bureau for attending conservative political events. May 11th, 2022, Another FBI whistleblower discloses that dozens of parents with the threat tag designation to their name are investigated by the FBI. This also happens to be the same whistleblower who said the FBI leadership, not the rank and file members, the FBI leadership is rotted at its core. His clearance has been revoked and he's been suspended. June 7th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower is retaliated against after giving feedback on an anonymous survey. July 27th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that agents are pressured to reclassify cases as domestic violent extremism cases to hit self-created performance metrics. 
September 14th, 2022, an FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI views the Betsy Ross flag as a terrorist symbol. September 19th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the Washington field office is del deliberately manipulating January 6th case files to make it appear that domestic violence extremism is on the rise. He's been suspended. November 8th, excuse me, November 4th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses the FBI accepts private user information from Facebook without the user's consent, and information is from only the conservative side of the political spectrum. This is only a sampling. In my time in Congress, I have never seen anything like this. Dozens and dozens of whistleblowers, FBI agents coming to us, talking about what's going on, the political nature at the Justice Department. Not Jim Jordan saying this, not Republicans, not conservatives, good, brave FBI agents who are willing to come forward and give us the truth. And this is just the FBI. What do you think, Noah? <laughs> Betsy Ross flag. I might have that one tattooed on me. Oops. <sighs> you domestic terrorists. Mm -hmm. Are we going to make the domestic terrorist bingo cards ever? We can. <laughs> you know, now that this hearing's actually getting kicked off, we might be hearing some of those. Yeah. You're going to have to. Well, I mean, you're the maker of things such. Oh, shit, yeah. Add it to the to-do list. Mm. And like I said, and like has been kind of the theme of the show today, we kept the entire episode actually up on Capitol Hill, starting with the State of the Union, wrapping it up with some committees getting kicked off and everything in between. People getting kicked off committees? Not anymore. <laughs> well, just the big three. Love it. We are not going to go out and tell you that the start of these committees means people are going to jail. We hope that our completely broken federal justice system through all of this noise that you're hearing and a lot of emotional talking points find real things that affected real Americans that will eventually lead to real consequences. I don't think so. I'm not optimistic. No, because why would these people put themselves in this position if there was any chance of them getting hosed? There are so many people who are walking the streets these days, people that have just used the American taxpayer, the Constitution, and Washington, D.C. for everything that she's worth. And they go and live their lives without consequences. Living lives better than most of us. Than all of us. Yeah. But, you know, as we're getting ready to cruise into the weekend, I can tell you this. The biggest promise that you'll get on Steak for Breakfast is we will continue to report it provide commentary on all of these stories because at the end of the day they're the ones that are most impactful to you well there's only one way to end the week when you've been up for almost 60 hours straight ooh, ooh. that's what an america first edition of the steak for breakfast podcast if you enjoyed this episode of the show and you'd like to hear the now over 200 other editions of the podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podaddict, Google Podcasts, or even in the Samsung store now. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests who joined us today. The president of the New York Young Republicans Club, Mr. Gavin Wax. CEO of X Strategies, Alex Brusowitz, and Congressman representing Florida 7, Mr. Corey Mills. Thanks to everybody who took time out of their busy schedule to make our show a little bit better. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners because when that happens, 
you help make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Listen, I had an Instagram account flagged for sharing the Mike Lindell in the uh, Claw Game interview. <laughs> Disney didn't like me sharing it. But you want to know what? Mike Lindell shares all of his savings with you. You enter promo code stake at checkout and you're going to enjoy all of them at MyPillow. If you want anything for the bedroom, MyPillow.com forward slash steak. If you want the coffee or check out all the other great businesses they got going on at my store, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned, they can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studio recording, maybe even doing a little podcast, make the investment. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Man rubbed some meat this morning, threw it in the crock pot. What kind? Oh, you know, it was like a uh, shoulder loin. Mm. Yeah. My kids like it. A little barbecue sauce. There you go. See what happens. Manrubs.com is the website. Go check them out. My Patriot Cigars. Go support our good friend Alan as well. He's got the uh, great deals going on down there. 15% off when you enter promo code STEAK. Every order over 100 bucks, free shipping, $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots, and our newest partner, Farmer Bill's Beef Jerky. And a promo code stake here, getting $5 off. If you order a 12-pack of jerky, free shipping. Gotta love it. FarmerBill'sProvision.com is the website. Go see what they've got going on down there. Upcoming shows. You know it. I know it. We all know it. People are going to be asking why John Solomon wasn't here today. He had a minor procedure and is resting well, I've been told, but he'll be joining us next week. Uh, but before that, we'll be back on Valentine's Day with Miss Christina Bob and Josh Hammer. John Solomon will be here next Friday, and so will Congressman Max Miller. Darren Beatty scheduled for the 21st of February. Devin Nunes and Cash Patel are probably going to make it rain on the 24th, and that's all I got for you now. I've talked to Mike Collins, Kevin Kiley, Eli Crane, Boris, and some others. Lauren Bobert will be here in the next week as well. Just got to lock in some dates. Friends of the week, got my sticky notes, told him he was going first today, so I'm up on my word. Rumble Rants, had some great ones. So did Lauren Eve, Let's Go Brenda, Grand Old Memes, Right Wing Savages, Namrock, Namrock, Madam America, Memar was hammering Ron DeSantis on Twitter during the wee hours of the morning today. Gabriel Savage and Mostly Peaceful Meme for the Meme Team. We did not forget our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten, CSM Master, you guys are always sharing our stuff. So is some call me Tim79 on Truth Social. Spoopy's always creeping. William shares. And so does Nightwing X. Guys, thanks to remember between now and Valentine's Day, number one, do your own research. My wife asked me today if I like dark or milk chocolate. She better recognize. Number two, start a podcast. You're not going to tell them which one? Absolutely not. <laughs> My wife sometimes <laughs> listens to the show when she's bored. <laughs> figure it out oh scissor me timbers i said number two start a podcast yep let's no. do it do it again come on we did a good job today do it twice a day there you go three times a week nope not yet <laughs> number three let's start talking about american greatness again listen when you look at this guest lineup today talking about american greatness was achieved enough said and last but certainly not least let's see what happens this has been episode 212 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back with episode 213 on Valentine's Day. Miss Christina Bob, Mr. Josh Hammer will be joining us and probably some others with the way scheduling goes around here. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. 
Noah. Later. Guys, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening and take care. want a more permanent solution to help the homeless and clear their street. Check it. Tell is the owner of this 7-Eleven at the intersection of East Oldtorf and Park Lane. I play the music 24-7 because fuck them. That's why. Fuck them. Patel says this comes as there's been issues with the homeless encampment next door. These motherfuckers. Take a big whiff. Take a smell. Take a smell right now. You smell it? Shit. <laughs> you know where the shit is from? From these motherfuckers. They're shitting everywhere around here. Everywhere around here, they shit. He says this music hopes to act as a deterrent. Deterrent? No, I hope it fucking drives them crazy. <laughs> Fuck these motherfuckers. These motherfuckers. <laughs>